Amen. Well, good morning to you. Man, it's great to be with you. And uh, I should say this first because I've been out here many times. I love coming out here, uh, but every time I've come solo, uh, so you get you get the special benefit because everybody's you know I'm just a dude. Uh, but uh, but I brought my amazing wife with me today. It's up here. So so Nan is here with us, and um, so I'm glad she could be here with us. I'm excited to be here. I uh, just love being with you guys as uh, as your pastor is away. So, um, so like I said, so I'm thrilled to be with you uh, today. If you got your scriptures, turn to Matthew 10. We're going to be in verses 22 through 39 this morning and really kind of looking uh, and continuing in this series that actions speak louder than words. And, and we kind of tracked through these last few weeks and seeing the miracles that Jesus did that were, were followed by really a call to action and a call to send people out. And, and, and so we've come up and all the way through now from, from Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus says the, that the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. And he begins to have a conversation with his disciples and he begins to send his disciples out here in, in Matthew 10. And I was thinking about it and our question today is just simply this, is do you want to be like Christ? Like, amen. So do you want to be like Christ is our question. And I was thinking about that. And so those of you that, that are kind of old school basketball fans, I'll say the name Michael Jordan, and that resonates with you. Um, and maybe when you think of Michael Jordan, you think like I think, and you think the best basketball player that ever played. Um, and, and, and I know there's debate about that, and we can have that in another setting. Um, but I'm, I, I got the pulpit, so Michael Jordan's the best basketball player that, um, that ever played. And, and, but there was a commercial of his that Gatorade put out, and, and now, now that I've said it, you're all kind of like singing the jingle in your head, but it was, I just want to be, what? Like Mike. I want to be like Mike. And they had all the, you know, the kids out there, they were like dribbling with their tongues held out, and, and, and the, you know, kind of the old middle-aged men that were, were trying to dunk the basketball, but they jumped about two inches off the ground, um, all trying to be like Mike. And wouldn't it be great if you could drink that Gatorade and, and, and then just go out and dunk a basketball like Michael Jordan? That would be, be awesome. But it doesn't really work like that. If you really want to be like Mike and you've got a skill set and a talent set, you've got to work hard, you've got to put in the practice, you've got to do the things that are necessary to do that so that you can attempt to kind of get those skills and be able to play basketball the way that he played basketball. It doesn't come just by drinking a bottle of Gatorade. But Jesus now is coming in and asking the same question of, do you want to be like Christ? Do you want to be like me? And there's some things and some realities that he lays out to his disciples and he's laying out to us this morning. So if you will, look at verse 22. He says, you'll be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. I just want to stop right there and say this. You need to know, during this time, for, for the Jews and also for those who are in the greater kind of Greco-Roman world, the ultimate goal of a disciple, the aim, the target, the purpose, if you are a disciple, was to be like your master. Like, that is what the goal is. That was core to their belief and core to what was going on during this day and age. And so he says in verse 25, it's enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So follow the logic here. If Jesus was persecuted and he is our teacher and master, then why in the world would we think that we're above that? Or why would we think that we're not going to endure what he's endured? 
Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2.21 that we're to follow in Jesus' steps in the past of suffering. So if we proclaim the name of Jesus and we declare who Christ is in the world, we are going to be betrayed. We're going to be hated. We're going to be persecuted. People call Jesus Satan. So if our lives are identified with him, then they're going to call us the same thing. And Jesus is just laying this out and laying out that the reality that we have to face this morning is that the danger of our lives increases in proportion to the depth of our relationship with Christ. So the, the, the danger is going to grow exponentially the deeper that we get into our walks with Jesus and the more that we step out in faith and the more that we step out in obedience to what it is that he's called us to do. You know, we live in a day and age of we want everything easy. You know, that it's so easy a caveman can do it. You know, and, and you do everything on your phone now, and everything is with a touch of a button. And we long for easy. But can I tell you this morning, church, that the call to follow Jesus is not a call to an easy life. It's not. You're not going to receive Jesus and then everything just go peachy keen for the rest of your life and the rest of your days. I, I, I can't stand up here and honestly say that to you. But here's what I can tell you. While the call to follow Jesus is not an easy life, that call is a life and it is a call to a full life. So when you pursue Jesus, when you follow after him, no, everything's not going to be easy. Yes, you're going to face hardship. Yes, you're going to face trials. But you will feel a fulfillment and every longing will be filled unlike anything that you've ever experienced in your life. Because this is who Jesus is. So if you want a safe, carefree life, free from danger, free from trials, then you should stay away from Jesus. He's laying this out here. The world responds to hus with hostility to him. So as we're conformed to Christ, as we identify with him more and more, the world is going to respond to us more and more as they responded to him. He says in Luke 6, 40, everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. So these verses, you may be sitting here this morning saying, man, Tim, I like came for some encouragement and like a pat on the back and, and all this. I, I just want to tell you, like it seems harsh in here, but these verses also serve as a comfort to us and to the church. There will be those who will not accept the message of the gospel that we share. And in that, persecution will come. Jesus doesn't say if persecution will come. He says when persecution will come. Following the resurrection of Jesus, each of the disciples experienced this opposition. They experienced the persecution, but they were called to a gritty, physical, desperate, minute-by-minute -minute faith and reliance on the person and the work of Jesus Christ to be manifested in their lives. So you're going to become like the one who was mocked. You're going to become like the one who was beaten and spit on and nailed to a cross. And so I come back to the original question of do you want to be like Christ? And if so, Jesus just lays out in these subsequent verses for us just some things that we need to understand. The first is this this morning, is that fear will seek to stop us. Fear will seek to stop us. Look at verse 26. I'm going to have you underline some things as we go through here. But in verse 26, it says, do not be afraid. Underline that phrase there, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Underline this again, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Underline this again. So don't be afraid. 
You're worth more than many sparrows. This is where Jesus' words in verses 26 through 31 are comforting three times. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because fear is the real temptation, church. Fear is the thing that the enemy seeks to come to snuff out the church and silence the voice of the people of God. And, and it's not just those that are in the, these hard-to-reach areas of the world where the gospel can't be really shared openly and publicly. No, it's right here. It's in our own midst. How many of us today are afraid to go to the person in the cubicle next to us or across the street to our neighbor or just to a friend or a family member sitting across a dinner table? And the enemy would love to silence us and to snuff us out with fear in our lives. And I believe it's the biggest obstacle to obeying the commission of Christ. And so we need to know what Jesus says about overcoming fear. And he lays it out here in these verses. as He says just right off the bat here that we have to see eternally. We have to see from an eternal perspective. We shouldn't be afraid of this world and its ways because one, because one day in the future, the sin and evil of this world are going to be exposed and God's justice is going to prevail. I, I'm in a series right now with our college students talking about this, kind of looking back at the Sermon on the Mount as, as, as you guys have looked at as well. But Jesus is talking about there that we're right now we're in two overlapping kingdoms. We're living in a kingdom that is temporary. In the kingdom that is right now, it is a temporary kingdom. But as followers of Christ and as those who believe in Jesus, we are putting our hope and we are resting in the kingdom that is to come. And that's the kingdom that's going to endure forever. So we can see with an eternal perspective. And we don't have to be afraid of what this world offers to us because we're sons and daughters of the king who's going to live and reign forever. And we can stand on that in boldness and in power. But also in that, not only do we, do we have to see eternally, we have to speak boldly in that. It says whatever God whispers to us through his word is to be proclaimed from the rooftops or from the housetops. Up until now, you look back at Matthew 8 verse 4, Jesus had consistently called for secrecy. But the time is coming for the disciples. It has come now for us as believers today to take what is secret and to proclaim it to the world, to declare it. He said in, in Matthew 5, to not take your lights and to hide it, but to let your light shine and, and, and to speak it out. So we should speak the truth of God everywhere. We should speak it often, clearly, and boldly. And so a lot of people push back on this sometimes. They're like, well, how do you do this, Tim? Because there's, there's millions upon millions upon millions of people who haven't heard the gospel or who need to hear the gospel or who, who needs to respond to the gospel. And I don't feel like I have the knowledge to do that. I don't feel like I have the qualifications to do that. I don't feel like I have the skill set to do that. Can I tell you today, if you're a child of God and a son of Jesus Christ and you have a story of grace, you have a story of grace to tell to the world. And you can declare that in great power. But let me just make it even more intimate for you. Because I made this mistake as a student pastor and as a college pastor in my life to try to you know, send people out and like just go charge the world with, with the gospel of Jesus. And a lot of students sit back and they're, they're intimidated by that because they're like, Tim, they're, you know, I've got a thousand people in my graduating class. Or I go, I'm on a college campus with 68,000 students. So here's the question for you. Who's your one? Not who's your thousands or who's your, who's your one? Who is it in your life who needs to hear the message of the gospel? What family member, what coworker, what neighbor, who is it, what friend that doesn't know Jesus needs to hear about Jesus? Can I, I'll tell you this. You can talk to anybody that you know that shares the gospel on a regular basis. It started with one. They sat down across a table or sat down for coffee with one person. They shared the message of Jesus with that one person, and then they saw another person, and then they saw another one, and another one, and another one. Ask yourself today, 
Like you're going to face fear. You're going to overcome it. You got to speak boldly. But who's your one? Where does that begin for you? And who is it in your life? But we also have to sacrifice. Verse 28 gives us the reasoning that we don't have to fear. It says, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I'll never forget growing up um, and as a teenager, I didn't do a lot of crazy stuff as a teenager, um, but, but I, I was a teenager at one point in time in my life. And I'll never forget it. My dad pulled me aside one day and just saying to me, saying, son, you know, right when I started driving, he said, son, yeah, there are police officers that are out there that are watching you, and there are other people at places that you go, and there's other parents that are out there, and you should be aware of them, and you should be, be, be reminded that they're there watching you, um, and you should respect them, but I'm just going to tell you one thing. You should fear me. And, and, and you know, some of you that are fathers, you're like, oh, yeah, no, I, I've gotten that speech, and I've given that speech, and I'm going to give that speech to my son. There's no doubt. Um, I give it to him now, and he's five. And so, um, but you know, like Jesus is just being real practical here, saying, saying the worst that man can do to you is kill you. But you should fear God. Like you should fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't be afraid of men. The worst they can do is kill you. And so, so we may tremble. And, and, and be afraid of what men say to us, but we should fear God. I, I, I'm reminded of the saints of old who feared man so little because they feared God so much. And yet today, in our culture today, we fear man so much that we ignore God. And, and we refuse to step out in what he's calling us to do. When you and I fear God alone, we can stand boldly in front of people that, would previously, that we would have previously been afraid to share and speak the gospel with, even those who would take our lives. Because Paul said, for in the end, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So fear is going to seek to stop us. Jesus lays out here, here's how you can overcome fear. But we also need to know this, is that the Father is seeking to send us. Fear is going to seek to stop us, but it is the Father that is seeking to send us, and he doesn't send us alone. Look here again at verses 29 through 31. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than the many sparrows. We sent our kids to Georgia. We took our kids. We, we didn't send them. We took our kids to Georgia uh, to spend spring break with, with my mom, their grandmother. Now, now here's the, the reality for you, church. I did not take my seven-year-old and my five-year-old to the bus station with a bag and say, here's the bus, have fun in Georgia, so send I you. Like, we didn't do that. Like, no, we, we put them in the car, we packed their things, we gave them the clothes that they needed, everything that they would need to have on their trip, we drove them there, we went through, like, the rules, I told my son, like, you can't wrestle or beat up your sister, I told, I told my daughter that you can't boss your brother around, like, I did all of that stuff, like, we fully prepared them to be, to go and to send them to Georgia to spend a week with their grandmother, why would we do that? Because we're their parents, like, that's just the reasonable, logical thing to do. Every parent does it. Well, the father is doing the same thing. He's not just kicking you out the door saying, hey, figure it out yourself. No, when he sends you, he goes with you and he carries you and he empowers you so you're never alone. 
There's not a moment in the call that God has put on your life where he sent you out to be by yourself. It's always with him and for him. He guides us. He's in control of the smallest sparrow who falls to the ground. And so he's more than sovereign to direct every step of our lives amidst the danger of the mission in which we face. And we can be comforted because he sees us. He knows us. He knows you better than you know yourself. He, the, he's got your hairs numbered on top of your head. And so he sees you and he knows you. And because of that, he cares about you. The one who calls us to go as sheep into the midst of wolves, he is good. And so we have no reason to fear. So fear is going to seek to stop us. But the Father, in his care, is seeking to send us. So that leaves us with just one thing here this morning, church, is that we must decide how we will respond. We have to decide how we will respond. Look at verse 32. It says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That sword there is a metaphor for the inevitable separation between those who believe in Christ and those who don't believe in Christ. He says in verse 35, For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. So Jesus just says, you have to decide how you're going to respond. Are you going to choose fear or are you going to choose the Father? Are you going to choose to, to lay aside the fears, the failures, the things of this world and to pick up and take up your cross and follow after the Father who is seeking to send you out? And he just says, here's what it will look like. If you choose the Father over fear, here's what it will look like. We will proclaim. Just says we'll, that we will be a people who proclaim. We will confess him publicly. Verses 32 through 33. To confess just means to affirm, to agree, or to identify with. Like when we follow Christ, we don't sit back in silence, but we make it known to others that we are identifying our lives with him. I heard this said in a message a few days ago, and it just resonated with me. But we live in a day and age where people and the church seeks to identify with either the issues in which they have faced or are facing or the issues in which the world is facing. Can I tell you, we're not called to identify with the issues of our past or the issues of this world. We are called to identify as sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. This is who we are to be. And so we have to stop kind of putting ourselves on these different levels and in these different categories and just say, no, we're believers in Jesus. We're going to stand on that truth. We're going to stand on that identification. And that's the thing that's going to empower us and move us out into the world. And so, no, we're not failures. We're not fearful. But, no, we are just children of God. And we will proclaim that. But we also will pursue. Like, we're going to chase after that and pursue him. Jesus asked us for unqualified allegiance. And that means something because even the most esteemed rabbi at this time would not even demand that. Jesus is saying here, his points in verses 37 through 38, he's speaking of loving him more than our own family members, loving him more than our own spouse, loving him more than our own children, loving him above all because everything else is temporary, but he stands eternal. And it's daily. It's pursuing him every day. Church, what is it in your life that you're pursuing? Are you pursuing the security of a job and the finances that come with that? Are you securing, are you, are you pursuing some sort of desire 
in your flesh? Are you pursuing something for your family, security, safety, whatever the case may be? Anything in our lives that stands before Jesus stands in the wrong place. We are to pursue Christ wholeheartedly every single day. We will pursue. But then finally, we will pick up. Verses 38 through 39, Jesus just says that we must lose our life in order to find it. He's saying there, pick up your cross, follower of Christ, and die. Because the end result is more than worth it. I was thinking about this. The, the, and, and those of you that are, are parents can remember, you remember your first child and what that's like. And so on June 28th, 2011, uh, we had our first child, Emma Grace. And I remember that day, and I remember Emma Grace was, was, was born, and, and I was there in the room, and then they take Nan down to recovery, and then they bring Emma Grace up to our room where Nan is going to eventually be. So when they do this, it was just me and Emma Grace in the room together. Um, and they were like, you can, you can pick her up. I'm like, are you sure you want me to do that? And so I just remember I picked her up, sitting there holding this incredible, beautiful gift of God that he's entrusted to us to raise. And I'm thinking to myself, God, I don't really know why you did this. And I'm just weeping in that moment. I'm weeping because of, of just the joy. And I'm not going to lie, I'm also weeping because there's a little bit of fear in this. I'm like, you've brought me this baby with no mommy, and I don't really know how this is going to operate, so can we get her mom up here? I don't want to break her. I don't want to do anything. So there was kind of some of that going on as well. But I just remember holding her there, realizing and coming to this understanding that so much of my life was so self-centered. I was just a selfish person. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to pursue what I wanted to pursue. I wanted to do the things that I wanted to do. Chase after the dreams that I wanted to chase after. And there I am holding this six pound, eight ounce, beautiful gift of God. And I just realized that I didn't want anything for myself anymore, but I wanted everything for her. I wanted to set aside all of me so that she could have everything that she ever wanted or ever needed and to just give it all to her. She's seven years old. There's not a day that goes by that I don't still think about that. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't think she understands she can get whatever she wants from me either. But, but you know, this call to pick up your cross, that crucifixion, man, it's a shocking metaphor for discipleship. But man, disciples, they have to deny themselves. They have to die to self. Die to, die to self-will. Die to this kind of pick your own self up and figure it out yourself. Die to all of that. And to embrace and take up the cross. And to embrace God's will, no matter what that cost is. And to truly follow after him. And so what God is saying here in this place, and, and, and if you look back at chapter 10 and verse 1, it just says Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. 
And then he goes down in verse 40, and he says, anyone who welcomes, I like that some translations say receives, and I like receives better there, but anyone who receives you receives me, and anyone who receives me receives the one who sent me. So here's the deal, church. Disciples of Christ, we bear his message, but we also bear his authority. And so the authority that Jesus gave to each disciple was enough to get them through any hardship that they might have faced, any difficulty, any trial, any suffering, any persecution that they face upon their journey. And that same reality and that same power is true for you and I today. Jesus did not send us out alone. Jesus sent us out with his message, with his authority, with his power. So we can stand in that and walk in that reality. So then it's not just words that are coming out of our mouth, but there are action steps into the truth in which God has called us. So pick up the cross today, church. But to pick up the cross, you have to lay down all fear. To pick up the cross, you have to lay down your dreams, your desires, your purposes, your plans. But I'm telling you here today, church, when you do that, just as I picked up my daughter that day and realized I laid all of me aside, and every single day I know it was worth it. It's worth it when I look in her eyes. It's worth it when I see her dance ballet. It's worth it when I see her at school and at home and wherever it is that she may be. I'm telling you here, church, that when you pick up your cross, when you lay down yourself, you will see that it is worth it because Jesus didn't send you alone. Jesus is with you. He's for you. And you are his son and you are his daughter. And you can stand in that and walk in boldness and power in the name of Jesus Christ. Because his name is a name that will last and endure for all time. Church, when we stand before Christ, whether it's when he comes back for us or the day that we breathe our last breath, this is what we want to do. We want to stand before Jesus Christ. And the account that we give is just simply this. Father in heaven, Christ almighty, I live my life to glorify you and to make much of who Jesus is. Right here in my space and to the ends of the earth. So just with heads bowed and eyes closed here this morning. I just asked the question at the beginning, do you want to be like Christ? I just believe there could be people here in this room today that just need Jesus, that need to receive Christ for the very first time. If that's you, then we just want to offer that opportunity to you. And you can just pray this prayer. There's nothing special about the prayer, but there's everything powerful about the person to who you're praying to. And you just simply have to say, Jesus, I need you. I want to give my life to you to follow you. Save me, forgive me, and set me free in your name. If you pray that prayer here, I want to tell you Jesus has come and has met you where you are to set you free in his name. Patrick mentioned to you a card earlier. I know that Doug would love it. If you pray that prayer, if you just check that and said, I just decided to surrender my life to Jesus because he wants to get with you, to celebrate with you. But I also believe that there's just people here today, just the church, and we've kind of rested on just kind of religious routine of I'm just going to come on Sunday and, and give my time on Sunday and then walk throughout the world just as is the rest of the week. I just want to tell you, God's called us to so much more. He's called us to a full life in the name of Jesus. 
Christ rose from the grave and the power that raised him from the grave is the power that lives in us. So I just want to know, will will you as a church today just say, man, I'm going to follow Jesus into my workplace, into my school, into my neighborhood, into my circle of friends, into every area of my life. I'm going to follow Jesus and surrender my life to him and to what he's calling me to do. Patrick and the band is going to lead us. This altar is going to be open. There'll be men here from your church to receive you, to pray for you. But where is it that God is calling you and who is it that God is calling you to? And will you just simply respond today? Yes, Jesus. I have decided to follow you. The cross before me, the world behind me. Though none go with me, I will still follow. No turning back. No turning back. So Father, here in this place this morning, God, would you work and speak in hearts and lives? God, would you call those to faith in Jesus in a powerful way, God? And would you send us out in his name? In Jesus' name. Let's just stand together and worship.